Hello from Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News. This is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. Let's jump right in. Got a lot to get to this week. Um, some numbers, and you, y'all know if you listen to the podcast with any regularity, I, I really like numbers. I like reporting on numbers. Some interesting uh, stats we got this week on two hot button issues in education, teacher salaries and high school graduation rates. So a lot to unwrap in the numbers. So uh, let's uh, let's get into it. Let's go right into it, Kevin. Let's start with teacher salaries. This is uh, a critical time for teacher salaries. As you know, as our listeners and readers know, we're talking about the legislature voting on the fifth year of the career ladder salary law. That decision will come in the coming weeks. But meanwhile, you took a close look at the first four years of the career ladder salary law and kind of what the effect has been um, since this law was passed in, I want to say, 2015 legislative Mm -hmm. session. You took a close look at the numbers, ran some statewide averages. What did you find and what are people saying? Well, here's what we found in the aggregate. And it's really important to remember that it's the aggregate. We're talking about average salary for 16,000 teachers in the state. But when you look at it in the aggregate, still really interesting stuff here. Uh, The average salary went up by 3.4% this school year. So your average now is $48,000. No, take that back. I was looking at my old numbers. Your average salary right now is $49,740 per year. So very close to the $50,000 plateau. Over the course of the four years, Uh, the average salary increase has come to about 12%, 12 12.5%. That translates to about $5,500 in real real money. Mm -hmm. Again, averages. Uh, The way this money is distributed varies widely from district to district. Some districts put more money into their uh, salary schedule. Some charters put more money into their their salary schedule. Some, Some schools really only fund teacher salaries to the extent that they get money from the state. So you've got still wide variations between what one district can offer and what other districts can offer. Uh, Wide variations even within the salary schedule, even within the same school or the same district. Mm -hmm. The way the career ladder is structured, and we've talked about this so many times, but it bears repeating, the way that the career ladder has been structured is to front load pay raises into beginning salaries, into that lower end of the salary scale to, to you know, bring teachers into the profession, to bring newer teachers into the profession. That means that there isn't as much money in the career ladder for more veteran teachers. That has been a, an ongoing issue. And, you know, that was one of the things that came up. As I, as I did the story, I didn't want to just focus on the numbers. The numbers are really interesting. And I think it's really important for people to know exactly what's happening in the aggregate with teacher salaries. But as you as you mentioned, this is a big session uh, in terms of teacher salary decisions. Brad Little has talked about uh, trying to raise that minimum salary to $40,000 a year. If you just look at where we're at right now, the minimum salary is $35,800. So a $40,000 minimum is a significant bump. There are some districts and charters, and I talked to uh, the principal of one charter in Boise. There are some schools that aren't even their average salary isn't even at 40,000, yeah. let alone 
the, the salary for a new new teacher. And there's a lot of reasons for that, including hiring younger and experienced teachers or having older, more experienced staff members uh, leave or retire or move on somewhere else. There's a lot of reasons why that could be. Right, right. And when you look at the differences between uh, teacher salaries from school to school or from district to district, that is such a big determining factor. Uh, schools and districts and charters that have a more experienced uh, teacher force, they tend to have a higher average salary. That's just the way it works. So in the case of the village charter in, in Boise, which I mentioned before, where their average salary is below $40,000, well, part of the reason is they uh, replaced a couple of teachers this year. They replaced with, with newer teachers at the beginning end of the the career ladder. That's going to drive down your average salary. I mean, it's simple arithmetic when you look at it that way. Yeah. So a lot there. I mean, uh, like I said, you, you have to decide if you're the legislature, do you want to put some more money into beginning salaries? That's about an $11 million uh, request from Governor Little. You have to decide what to do with master teacher premiums. Uh, Little has earmarked $7.2 million for these uh, premiums for veteran teachers who right. have taken on some extra responsibilities in the classroom. It, it, it's a it's a program that's designed to reward and ins- and give incentives to veteran teachers, quality teachers, yep. experienced teachers to stay in the classroom and continue teaching. But the bottom line is, I don't think anybody knows how much that's going to cost. Nobody really knows exactly how many how many teachers are going to apply for the premiums exactly. and qualify for the premiums. It's a pretty arduous process of explaining, um, making the case for the premium. So I don't think anybody knows for sure if $7.2 million is going to be enough. Uh, State Superintendent Sherry Barr is on record saying she wants every teacher who qualifies and is eligible, who makes the cut, she wants every teacher to, who makes the cut to get one of these premiums. So we really don't She know. also wants to raise salaries above and beyond uh, the career ladder level. The superintendent's on record uh, is that. And hold that thought because we will hear more from her uh, next week and we'll yes, explain why right, at the right. end of this podcast. A lot, a lot to get to uh, on the budget end, um, which you know, pretty right. much uh, sets the stage for next week's podcast as well. And then the big issue before the legislature is uh, what to do with year five of the career ladder. This is the five-year plan. This is the fifth year. It's a $48 million infusion of money into teacher salaries. You know, as I mentioned in the story, the career ladder has proven to be very popular at the state house. Uh, the budgets uh, that include the career ladder have sailed through the House and the Senate almost unanimously. Uh, you know, bipartisan support from, from all over the political spectrum and all over the state. So my guess is year five of the career ladder is probably on really safe footing. I would be I agree. surprised I agree. if there was any kind of turbulence in terms of funding year five. They, view it, as a, they view it as a promise to be kept. Promise to be kept. I, I, absolutely well put. But the big question, and we'll talk more about uh, this as we go today, is what do you do with the career ladder beyond year five? And what do you do specifically with this $750-plus million pot of money that's set aside for teacher pay. Do you leave it alone? Do you keep it as a dedicated fund for teacher salaries? Or do you fold it into a uh, rewritten school funding formula? That's a big issue. And as I've talked to educators about the salaries uh, the past few days, what I was hearing is uh, let's leave the teacher salary money aside. Let's let the career ladder continue to uh, to work. Uh, right. you, know, you have educators saying, look, it's making a difference. Let's leave it in, in place. You um, talked to a couple of superintendents who said uh, 
you know, both who had had overall positive experiences with the career ladder and then maybe a little bit slower to adopt it. But they said, uh, quoting a couple superintendents you spoke to this week, it had made their negotiations go fairly smooth. And that's important for a lot of school districts. Right. I mean, you know, and I heard that from two districts that are very different Mm -hmm. in terms of a lot of their demographics, Wilder and Boise. Uh, Wilder superintendent Jeff Dillon says, look, it makes it a lot easier. You're not... It's very clear how much money we have and what the schedule is for salaries, so you don't spend as much time um, haggling over over salaries because you know what the, your salary schedule is, you know what the available funding is, so that becomes a fairly uh, straightforward aspect of the negotiations process, and, and that's you know. You know, salary is often the real sticking point in any labor negotiation. I mean, look at what's happening with teacher strikes all over the country, yeah. you know, including Los Angeles this week. The Boise district has kind of a similar experience. And Boise has always had, you know, for the past several years at least, really smooth negotiations. They have a pretty um, straightforward uh, process working with the local teachers association. But uh, when I talked to Kobe Dennis, who's... You know, the soon-to-be superintendent in Boise, he'll be uh, taking the job in July. He talked about, well, when we sit down and, and negotiate, we can talk about things like, hey, we have more special education students this year than we had a year ago, even though our enrollment is dropping. How do we want to address that? How do we want to address that student need? You can spend more time talking about that when you're not having to spend as much time uh, talking about the numbers, talking about the salaries. So that was something that I heard, and, you know, as as Dennis put it, we have this career ladder. It's in place. Um, Governor Little wants to put together a new education task force to look at K-12 and come up with a new five-year plan for education. Let's not tie the hands of that new task force by basically getting rid of the career ladder. Because if you move the money from the career ladder and you move the teacher salary money out of its own separate line item, you've basically made the decision for the task force before they can even start to work. And then it becomes discretionary. It's folded in with everything else, and we can it talk gets, about that in a minute. It um, gets melded up with everything else, and it is no longer a dedicated fund for teacher salaries. So that was a, a recurring theme that I heard as I was putting the story together. But that's all there. You can look at the numbers. You can see what's happened statewide um, as kind of a, an aggregate, as kind of a, a big-picture view of what's happening with teacher salaries. And we also kind of lay out what is going to happen at the legislature in the next few weeks on the salary issue. Yeah, great reporting there. Head over to the homepage at www.idahoednews.org, and you can check it out. And, of course, as you mentioned, the usual caveats are there. The individual teachers' experiences uh, will vary. We're talking about averages, but it's a powerful number uh, when we look at the pool of more than 16,000 teachers. And, yes, the other caveat that we realize uh, that salaries are negotiated uh, at the local school district level each and every year, uh, but we're talking about the money that the state sends out uh, each year in appropriations and then the average salaries and how that has changed uh, since before the career ladder to now and then from last year to this year. Uh, but yeah, good stuff. Check that out at the homepage. But let's move on. And we got some really good news this week out of the State Department mm-hmm. of Education uh, that kind of broke Thursday and surprised us. Uh, Really good, significant news on the graduation rate. Yeah. Kevin, mm-hmm. you dug into it. What did you find out? Yeah, yeah. No sooner did I publish the teacher salary numbers than we uh, got a set of numbers from the State Department of Education on graduation rates. And the improvement was was a solid improvement this year. It's, yeah. it's significant. So It means something. The grad rate um, goes from 79.7% a year ago 
the most recent numbers, and these are you know, the class of 2018, obviously, now the graduation rate is 80.6%. That's an improvement of close to one percentage point. And, it's a new you know, high watermark. It's, right a, it's a high watermark because for the past few years, the state has used a, a different model to calculate, calculate the graduation rate. It's the model that's used nationwide. Yep. state was a late adopter on this. And what you're doing is tracking students through the four years from ninth grade to 12th grade. If they start in ninth grade, do they graduate at the end of 12th grade? So now, for the first time, using that kind of modeling, Idaho's graduation rate is over 80%. So the difference, a difference of one percentage point, give or take a, a little bit here, that translates to a couple of hundred students statewide. By, my, by Richard math, that comes to about 200 students across the state graduating this year as opposed to graduating a year ago. That's significant. That's a chunk of, that's a sizable number. And that's uh, worth it means noting. Something, it, yeah. It's meaningful. You know, obviously a year ago, uh, as we reported on it, and this came up in the uh, candidate debates, it came up in candidate, uh, in the campaign advertisements. A year ago, the graduation rate was basically, basically stagnant. Yeah. It was a minuscule improvement of uh, <laughs> That basically translated to two students out of a graduating class of 20,000. And, you know, know, Sherry Ibarra took some heat for claiming uh, an improvement in graduation rates when really, statistically speaking, the numbers were virtually flat. Different story this year. You can't say that this time. And you have to say that these graduation numbers showed some significant Moving in the right direction, a significant accomplishment. And another thing in the in the graduation rates, and I have not yet really had a chance to dig down and look at the district-level data and the school-level data. We've got that, and we will do that. Mm-hmm. But um, another thing that I thought was interesting that the state is doing for the first time, and I, I think this is going to be worth watching down the road, the state is also going to look at what happens with... Uh, they're going to take a look at the fifth year. So when you're talking about students who did not graduate on time or did not graduate on time in 2017, what the state is doing now is looking at, well, what happens with those students? What happens with that number when you look at that extra year? Students going back and and continuing to work at it. And what they saw was they saw an improvement. So that that graduation rate for the, the students from that class the graduating class of 2017, and you look at those who graduated late but did graduate, for that class of 2017, you've got a grad rate that goes from 79.7% to 82%. So that's a, there again, I mean, that's a significant increase in numbers of students who have a high school diploma or have a GED, who have completed high school at some level. So that's a significant, that's a significant number as well. So there is some good news here. A lot of what you would you know, expect to see, and we see this really on so many metrics, you do have gaps in terms of demographics. Right. Uh, the graduation rate is lower for Latino students. It's lower for Native American and Alaskan Native students. So when you look at some of those, um, some of those demographic gaps, they do exist, and, and that's kind of an ongoing issue and, and an ongoing concern. But yes, by and large, some some good news on the graduation rates. What we can't tell you, though, and what we will tell you when we can tell you, is what does this mean in terms of where where does Idaho stack up nationally? I looked, and I don't even think the the nation has released graduation rates since 2016. And I you know 
checked in on the Education Writers Association listserv and said, hey, does anybody have these numbers? And apparently uh, crickets out there. So all we know is on the national level where the graduation rate was a couple of years ago, 2016, uh, the national graduation rate was 84% in 2016, and Idaho ranked 40th in the nation. So we don't know where Idaho is going to stack up when we start to see these more current national graduation rates and we can start drawing comparisons from state to state. We'll do that. We don't know it right now. But right now in the short term, an improvement in state graduation rates, and that's uh, that's noteworthy. It's good news. It's a big story for this week. If you want to dig into the numbers a little bit closer for yourself, uh, they're at the homepage at idahoednews.org. But it, it's good news, and it's stig- significant. It's yeah. statistically significant. Yes, I mean, Easy for me to say. No, it, it is. I mean, we're, we're talking about a couple hundred students yep. graduating as opposed to a year ago. Yeah, that's that's improvement, and that's, you know, you know, that's affecting lives, that's affecting families, that's affecting uh, futures for uh, a lot of students who are, who are graduating. It was an area that uh, state officials, education leaders wanted to improve upon, and we're moving in the right direction, uh, at least year over year, and so um, that's good news. And at the risk of being super pedantic about this, when we talk about the 60% goal, when we talk about post-secondary completion, well, you, you can't get there unless kids are graduating high school in the first place, so that's why... This graduation rate is important, and the improvement is significant. We'll continue to track the numbers. We will drill down uh, a little bit closer uh, to the local level uh, as more data becomes available and as we have the time, but uh, we'll continue to follow it. So uh, thanks for that, Kevin. Meanwhile, while all of this is happening on Thursday, um, more fun with numbers. This time it was the uh, Senate and House Education Committees uh, really looking under the hood at the uh, school funding formula proposal proposal. you were heading our coverage on this. You wrote about it on Thursday, Clark, um, and you've been watching this process uh, over the past three years. So what were your takeaways as the education committee started to, to dig in? Well, to set the stage, and I think that's really what this was about Thursday, was setting the stage for what we expect at this point to be likely the biggest education debate of yeah. the 2019 mm-hmm. legislative session. What this was is a it was a rare meeting where both the House and Senate Education Committees, who normally meet separately, they got together for a joint meeting Thursday afternoon. Other legislators uh, were invited. The Speaker of the House was there. Superintendent of Public Instruction Sherry Ybarra was there. State Board of Education President Linda Clark was there. A number of school district superintendents and teachers were there. It was a big crowd. I mean, I was sitting there, and I took a picture from where I was sitting in the front row. That Lincoln Auditorium, which is the biggest... Uh, meeting room at the state house it was almost full i mean yep. there was a lot of interest in this thing on thursday and, and i think that that's the significance here is uh, we have not seen a bill yet uh, there was no action to be taken but what this really amounted to was there was this interim committee that spent the past almost three years mm-hmm. working to develop a proposal for a new funding formula in idaho and this is really important even though it's going to feel like a math problem and a homework assignment um, but we're talking about funding schools differently. And this has not changed since like 1994. And so the advocates for changing the funding formula say the old formula was way too complicated, which 
fact check true. Yes. Uh, <laughs> the old formula was way too complicated, but it's also outdated. Um, I think Representative Wendy Horman pointed out yesterday that there isn't a single child in Idaho's public school system that was born uh, before uh, the formula, yeah. well, born after, right, yeah. born before the formula was changed. Uh, so, anyways, they're saying the existing formula, which is attendance-based, doesn't take into uh, account kind of these modern hallmarks of our education system in the 21st century, such as online learning, such as student mobility, such as charter dual schools. and concurrent enrollment, such as the proliferation of the charter school movement. And so they developed a proposal to switch to a student-centered enrollment-based model, where ideally the funding would follow uh, the students. So if you're going to your traditional brick-and-mortar school for half the day, taking half of your classes online, uh, the money would be split. And it's a complicated process. Anytime that we look at changing the school funding formula, it's important because of the amount of money mm-hmm. that's involved. Something like 48% of all state general fund spending goes to K-12 public schools. And the, and the stakes for schools. I mean, this is their primary source of revenue. The way the state funding. structured yep. school funding in Idaho School districts really rely on state funding as their bread and butter funding source. You know, local taxes, local supplemental levies are you know kind of an add-on to what uh, they're getting uh, from the state, and in a lot of cases, that's a necessary add-on. School administrators will say that they really need that money from the local level, but the state funding is so important, and in Idaho, state funding accounts for such a preponderance of overall school funding. So anything you do with the state funding formula has a profound impact on schools. It would almost be impossible to overstate the significance of this decision and this debate. But what this really amounted to, what happened Thursday, was really a demonstration of the proposed new funding formula for lawmakers on the House and Senate Education Committees. And symbolically, it represented the interim committee handing off its recommendation to the legislature's education committees to begin the hard work of developing the proposal, fleshing it out, and bringing something forward perhaps in the coming weeks uh, for a vote. And basically what happened is the new funding formula is presented uh, via this spreadsheet. And there's all these calculations and weights built into it. Um, but it's kind of set up in a neat way. And this is online and av- available to access through our stories. But it's kind of set up in a neat way where there's a base amount of funding per, per student. And then you can go, and co- go in and set the weights for uh, at-risk students or disadvantaged students or small school districts. You can sort of set these weights, plug in enrollment increases, plug in funding increases. And, uh, you know, at one point, the Speaker of the House, Scott Bedke, was really running the discussion, and he said, okay, what do we want to do for teacher raises? Do we want to do 4%? Okay, plug that into the formula here, and then you can see how that would affect every different school district. Mm -hmm. So it was really kind of a roadshow, almost a demonstration, and they developed a hypothetical budget for next year. Right, and that was kind of the way the hearing unfolded. Most of it was uh, House Speaker Scott Bedke kind of holding court. It felt like, you know... It was fun with numbers with Professor Bedke, where he was, you know, sort of walking the committee members through the numbers and how it changes if you uh, tweak one part of the the spreadsheet as opposed to another. And and there was, you know, some some you know some lightheartedness yeah. as they were playing around with the numbers. But um, let's not dwell too much on the lightheartedness, and, and let's 
This is, what we this is the Speaker of the House spending the better part of two hours uh, making a case uh, for how this works. And, and I think that says... Making a case for the change. That's significant. I mean, you know... And I wasn't paying as close attention to the the hearing as you were. As it turned out, I was sitting there kind of half listening and writing up the graduation rate. Typical. Numbers, the, no, the I'm just kidding. No, I have an excuse here, and I have an alibi, and I'm sticking with it. But one thing really did stick out at me, even as I was writing another story and I was you know, listening. Speaker Bedke said that he's kind of disappointed and concerned that the debate over the school funding formula has gravitated towards the uh, question of who wins and who loses, um, which which inevitably will. I mean, every legislator is going to look at this how formula does this and see how it does it affect district. my hometown school district. Yeah. That's, that's it's inevitable. inevitable. That's politics. And it would be irresponsible and, not to. And Bedke knows that. Yeah. And he's acknowledged that. But he's concerned that that is becoming the whole of the debate over the funding formula. Read between the lines what, what Bedke is saying and what members of this funding formula committee are, are saying is legislators pay attention to the greater good here. In their view, the greater good is we've got an outdated formula that needs to be updated and we need to update it. And the longer we wait, the more outdated this formula becomes. You know, we, we've got to act and we've got to figure out a way to make it work and, you know, you know, work through the turbulence that happens as there are schools that get more money and schools that get less money and work that out. So, you know, definitely the, the tone there from, from Bedke, while, you know, there was some, some joshing around with, with colleagues, was we need to do this. And in Bedke's view, we need to do it, and we need to do it this year, even if we don't roll it out and put it in place. Well, that's the, the plan. They're not and going... That's the plan. That's the plan. They're going to hopefully, when I say hopefully, this is the Republican Scott Bedke's perspective, hopefully pass it this year, sit on it for a year, and then implement it in the, what would that be, the 2021 school year? Right. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the plan. Let's go back to the fact that Scott Bedke, Speaker of the House, was presenting this. Um, that's significant, and it tells you something about the power and the push behind this. Yeah. Uh, Scott Bedke, as Speaker of the House, is the most powerful member of the House by a landslide. The, yes. You don't see him... Hardly ever uh, debating in favor of a bill or predicting what's going to happen. He, he more sort of just presides over things and all the caucus is going to do what the caucus will do and the will of the people will be reflected at the end of the day. That's not what happened here. For two hours, he did a lot of the talking. He ran the demonstration. He asked the questions. He sort of... It, you know, told lawmakers what his preferred rollout would be. And I don't want to suggest that the Speaker of the House was yelling because he wasn't. He handled this in a very professional, even manner. But he may have, he might as well have been symbolically up on a 10-foot platform speaking into a bullhorn because that's the message that it was conveying that this is coming from the top. He was a member of the interim committee that Which helped develop this. Significant. It's not common for a Speaker of the House to sit on an interview. Really committee. taking an active role in this, really providing some legislative muscle, which it may take a lot of legislative muscle to get this move forward. And so let's talk about the winners and losers. The latest draft that was approved showed 36 Idaho school districts or charters would receive less money going forward than they do right now under this change in the funding formula. On the other hand, the remaining school districts, the vast majority of them, would have their funding stay level 
or increase. Right. Uh, and, and it's all over the board, and those calculations are out there, and, and you can look at them, and you can run your own simulations. But this is important, even though it frustrates the Speaker of the House, because the decision the legislature will have to make is whether they want to increase the funding via this formula. This would be a byproduct of adopting the formula. It would send more money to the state's largest growing district, West Ada specifically, at the expense of taking money from small rural school districts with high populations of special ed students, or Fino, uh, is an example. And this is not lost on lawmakers. Carl Crabtree, who has proven to be almost a swing vote in the Senate Education Committee in years past. And on who is from that issues. area. I mean, so he knows Orofino. He He's said, from... when your back is against the wall and you cannot pass a levy in your community, you you don't have flexibility. And, and so flexibility is what is the whole idea behind this new formula is. Crabtree said, when your back's against the wall, when we can't pass levies and we're in a million-dollar deficit by turning on this new form, funding formula, your back's against the wall, and you don't have flexibility, and we need to figure this out. And, there, and, and so think about that point. And there's a lot of concern out there within the education community about how this funding formula works and how it would impact uh, schools. When I talked to Boise school officials uh, this week on the salary issue, we actually wound up spending more time talking about the funding formula and the funding formula proposal. Don Coberly, the retiring superintendent, has really kind of... He's delved into the numbers as well, and, and one of his big concerns is um, an aspect of the, the proposal that's called a wealth adjustment. Yeah, and we've so, never done this before. We've never done this before, and the idea is you know, to try to you know, put some more money into uh, schools that, are, you know, that have less local wealth, poorer districts. But there's a constitutional provision in the state of Idaho talking about a free, uniform, and thorough system of public education. And is it uniform if some school districts get a wealth adjustment and others do not? And his concern is that the way this wealth adjustment would work is that a district that is going through a, a period of growth, that's going through an economic boom, they may wind up losing money and losing money abruptly when that wealth adjustment is factored in. You know, money may be taken away from, let's talk about a West Ada school district where there is a lot of commercial growth and a lot of residential growth uh, seems to be perennially in, in growth mode. If that district sees growth to the point uh, where, the, where they're going to lose money off of this wealth adjustment, it could be a sudden decrease. This is Coberly's argument. It could be a sudden decrease, an abrupt decrease. Um, and and I guess if you play that out one step further, a district that's growing, like a West Ada, or any district that's growing so quickly that you know the wealth adjustment works against them, that's the same district that, as likely as not, is going to have to go to voters and say, For levy. we need a supplemental levy to... Or a bond issue. Or a bond issue, or both. Yeah. I mean... So you could have a double whammy there if a wealth adjustment penalizes a district that's uh, in a growth mode at the same time that that same district has to go to local voters to get some help. So it's a, it's a very complicated formula. But as I talked to, to Coberly, that's one of his concerns. Not really a parochial concern. He doesn't think that the wealth adjustment's ever really going to affect Boise one way or the other because, you know, Boise's, Boise's, Boise, Boise's kind of... In a growth mode, he doesn't think the district would ever see a dime off of a wealth uh, wealth adjustment. But his concern at the statewide level is that this creates a lot of turbulence 
and a lot of unpredictability when you're really trying to you say you're really trying to create predictability with a new formula he thinks that it would have the opposite effect so there are concerns out there there's a very complicated issue as you mentioned we haven't seen a bill yet the next step i guess house education is going to meet on monday and devote their whole time to diving into the into the formula, and I know you'll be there. And legislators are all over the map, even on the education committee. Some people were drilling down into the formula and asking uh, precision-level questions. Other people, perhaps newer members of the legislature, said, let's back up. Can I get a glossary of terms that we're discussing? And so people are coming at this from all different places. Uh, There is an appetite, generally speaking, to change from attendance to enrollment. There is an appetite, generally speaking, to modernize and update the funding formula to take into account uh, concurrent enrollment, fractional enrollment, student mobility, charter schools, online learning. But as Senate Education Chairman Dean Mortimer said, there is a lot of work to be done, and it's hard work, and they're not finished. And we will watch as that work unfolds, and it starts on Monday. It's been a full week here, and we did want to catch up on a couple of other items that we're not going to talk to um, talk about in detail, but we'd urge you to look at kind of the, the full spectrum of our coverage this week. Um, shout out to Devin Bodkin, our Eastern Idaho reporter, and to Randy Schrader, our data analyst, who have been doing yeoman's work these past few days, digging into financials and digging into expenses at uh, a couple of charter schools in the Blackfoot area. Really detailed reporting. A sensitive story. A very sensitive story. It's a small town, uh, you know, a couple of charter schools in Blackfoot. But, you know, really important accountability reporting as we try to dig into these financials. This is a... Some financials, some reimbursements. The head of the charter school or the administrator of the charter school is involved. And this is an issue that's under investigation by the state's charter school commission. So this is an ongoing, a fluid story uh, Very Devin important. and Randy have done some outstanding work trying to break this down and explain. So check that out. And, and just on the other extreme, because there's just a lot of a lot of stuff on our website this week. On a lighter note, I had a chance to sit down with uh, with Dean Mortimer, the chair of the Senate Education Committee, to talk about something that I've seen every week <laughs> at the Senate Education Committee for several years. Um, he begins each week's business with a poem, with a, a reading of a poem from Edgar A. Guest, a poet from the 20th century and I sat down with, with him you know why why start the week with this poem why start the week with a poem why Edgar A. Guest who, who was a big deal in the pop culture world of a century ago a poet who eventually wound up syndicated in 300 newspapers and had a radio show and a tv show about as pop culture as poetry could be you know a rock star uh, poet a rock star poet and who who where, is, where are the rock star poets of today? Well, but anyway, Edgar A. Guest. <laughs> it, it's a cute story, I think. It's, it, it, it's a family a, history there. You get a, sense, you get a uh, sense of why this book is significant to, to Mortimer, why this poet is significant. Andrew Reed uh, shot a video of uh, Mortimer reciting a poem. And, and that's a cute video, so you want to see that. And, and that's all there. That shows another side of the chairman of the Senate Education Committee, who we see a lot of the time is all business. This shows another side uh, of him. It, it, it's a fun read. It's a it's a nice video. A, thank you. I had a good time. You know, it's a good piece, time talking to him and good time. It's a piece the story, that's so. funny in a subtle kind of a way, and I love those kinds of stories. Uh, and and so it is, it is worth your while. But while we were talking about Andrew, I just want to. 
uh, congratulate Andrew for his tenure at Idaho Education News, for everything he's done to improve our site, uh, to bring us into the 21st century fully. Uh, his work with multimedia reporting and videos and social media really helped us grow and become more professional over the last three years. Uh, next week's going to be Andrew's last week yeah. at Idaho Education News. He's moving on uh, to a new chapter in his life, moving to California, staying involved uh, with education and with um, online multimedia storytelling. But uh, next week's Andrew's last week at Idaho Education News. Uh, we we are working on on uh, uh, sort of a, pa- a path forward, and we have more to announce in the coming weeks. Um, but we would not be where we are today without Andrew, and that is no exaggeration. And we will not be able to replace Andrew. We will be hiring, making a new hire, but we will not be able to replace Andrew ever. And I think that's significant. And I think a lot of the people who enjoy Idaho Ed News and come to Idaho Ed News every week do so because of Andrew and I cannot overemphasize that. Andrew is such a talented multimedia reporter and he's been such a great addition to a, to our to our site and to our operation. And he's just a fun guy. Yes. He's just been a delight to work with these these past couple of when years. When I come so to visit a classroom, everybody's like, ugh. But when Andrew comes, there's like a waiting list of people to interview and classrooms to visit. And he's like a celebrity. When I come, it's like, ugh, let's get this over <laughs> yeah. with. <laughs> yeah. No, and so we're going to miss him. And, and we wish him nothing but the best. And you know, he's got such a bright future ahead. And we were just... We were just fortunate to have him aboard for a couple of years and to learn from him. Absolutely. Uh, check out the Mortimer piece uh, for Andrew's latest video. And do check out the Blackfoot Charter stories. They're important. They're detailed. There's some great reporting there. Looking ahead, we already mentioned how the funding formula will dominate the legislative session in the coming uh, weeks and really maybe a month and a half, two months left of the session. We know that's on tap starting Monday, a follow-up discussion. Education Week is next week. week It's an annual event, Kevin. Uh, It involves uh, the coming together of some budget hearings. But uh, real quick, lay out what what our readers and listeners can expect next week. I will be in JFAC all week uh, next week. Joint Budget budget Committee. for uh, For the budget presentations. Every university and college will be before uh, JFAC during the course of the week. Um, And on Thursday, State Superintendent Sherry Barra presents her budget proposal. Always one of the biggest hearings of the year. That's always a big hearing. Going to be really interesting to see how she uh, lays out the issue of school safety, her budget request, which was not uh, incorporated into the governor's budget. Where does she uh, prioritize uh, teacher pay, mastery-based education is another area that she's hoping to see some funding uh, another area that the governor didn't fund. So there are a lot of differences between her budget request and the governor's budget request. And this is her chance to go before the uh, the budget committee and make her case that the budget committee ought to side with her request as opposed to uh, the governor's. So that's always an important hearing. We'll be there in force. It's a full week. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and that will really, if you come back next week for the Extra Credit Podcast, we will be back in Education Week and the budget requests both on the higher ed side and the K-12 side, uh, are kind of going to be our top stories, at least that's what it looks like at this point. Uh, So that'll be uh, the theme of our next podcast. But as always, uh, thanks so much for joining us as we break down this often complicated intersection of education policy and education politics. We have a lot of fun here on the Extra Credit Podcast. Enjoy you guys uh, listening to us every week. So thank you for that. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Have a good week.